0: Well, Koto, in this episode, we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, typically, I talk to marketing practitioners, people who are out there doing marketing in the real world, uh, and today I'm talking with a couple of my academic colleagues, uh, Anne Marie Kennedy and Joya Kemper. Um, Together the three of us wrote a paper recently that came out in the Journal of Social Marketing looking at how social marketing can be taught, uh, the importance of teaching undergraduates in particular about social marketing and the approaches we take to try and make that effective. Um, And I should say that from the outset social marketing is not social media marketing, it's not digital marketing, it's about social marketing which is how do we use marketing to benefit society? How do we use marketing to encourage voluntary behavior that is a benefit to the individual or the community as a whole? Um, and we talk about a bunch of stuff in the end. We talk about what it's like to be working in this area, kind of countercultural within a business school, what it's like to try and support people who are wanting to get into this space, and also what it's like to write as an academic, what it's like to to basically write down your work and think this is an amazing piece of work and then for reviewers to rip you to pieces and you have to go through that process of understanding whether this is actually any good or not. Um, so, so many offshoots could have come from this conversation and if you are enjoying it, if you like to see how academics work in this space and maybe there's other things you would love to know more about. I'm more than happy to talk to some other academics who are working in marketing and trying to translate that academic knowledge into real world knowledge. So Kakite O'Nor, hopefully enjoy what we have to say. Thanks for coming back. Uh, as you know, my name is Eikhan and I'm here with a couple of amazing people who I've had the pleasure of working with over the last few years, uh, Anne-Marie Kennedy and Joya Kemper. Now, despite both of these people being former students of mine, they've actually done really well for themselves uh, in their academic careers. And um, the three of us have actually just co-authored a paper that came out, and I thought this would be a great opportunity to talk about that work, but also about the work that both Joya and Anne-Marie are doing. Uh, so by way of introduction, uh, Joya Kemper is a senior lecturer at the University of Canterbury. She did her undergrad with us at UC and then went to Otago to do her honours and then came back to UC to do her PhD and then went to Auckland to start her academic career and now she's back at UC. So I think this is just testament to the fact she can't stay away from us. I'm not sure if it's not can't stay away from us or we can't stay away from her, but Joya's uh, areas of interest are very much in sustainability, uh, ethical and healthy consumption with a real focus on behaviour, organisational and institutional change. Um, Joya was also the recipient of the Early Career Research Excellence Award at the Auckland Business School and the Early Career Teaching Award at Auckland Business School. So a high-flying young academic who is who making waves um, in the in the research and teaching world. Uh, Anne-Marie Kennedy is an associate professor here at UC, uh, did her undergrad at Auckland at the university, is that correct? Yeah, and then PhD at AUT before coming to UC about, oh, how long, what, five years ago? Yeah,
1: 2017.
0: 2017, so yeah, about yeah. five years ago. So, and established herself here at UC. Um, Anne-Marie's got a long history of publishing in the area of macro marketing, pro-social marketing, Ethicality, History of Marketing and Sustainability uh, and uh, teaches into the retail space as well. She is the recipient of the uh, UC Business School's Early Career Research Award, the UC Business School's uh, Early Career Teaching Award and the UCY Teaching Award as well as the uh, amongst her many awards the Layton Award for the most cited paper in the last five years in the Journal of Macromarketing. So thank you both for coming and chatting with me. Um, The paper that we had published recently was called uh, social marketing as pedagogy. This idea that social marketing uh, is not just something we do and we teach how to do, but we should teach in a manner that could be uh, in a social marketing sort of space. We'll talk about what that means in a second, but I thought maybe start with a bit of Faka So Anne-Marie, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what drew you to this place of doing research in this sort of general area?
1: Um, thanks I can't. thank you for bigging me up with uh, the introduction, I, I like that, um, makes me feel good at the start of a, uh, our recording. Um, so yeah, I uh, was one of those people that actually went straight through from my bachelor's degree to my master's and my PhD, one after the other, um, so I didn't have a big break like a lot of people do. Um, and uh, then after my PhD, I had a break uh, and I went yeah. and became a snowboard instructor um, and traveled around the world doing that. And the the really good thing about that is it actually gave me perspective on um, academia in general um, and the path that I had been heading down, which was, you know, publish uh, at all costs uh, at a very kind of selfish way to, to get um, to get where I wanted to be, I guess, in my career. Um, and, you know, getting that perspective of kind of lo- uh, leaving the area and then coming back, what I decided was that uh, when I came back, I was only going to do research that had um, that had impact, basically, that mm-hmm. had social impact and can help um, people in society. Uh, and since I came back, I've been doing that. Uh, and so that's what really drew me to... Uh, the behavior change area, and to sustainability, um, and to looking at things like pedagogy uh, around teaching social marketing to students as well, and how uh, it can help them change as well. So. Cool. Yeah.
0: Joya, over to you. Tell us a bit more about yourself, and, uh, and what's sort of drawn you to this sort of general area of research? I should tell our listeners as well that Joya is uh, Zooming in from Auckland, so that's why she sounds a bit weird. She's not robotic.
2: Kia ora everyone! Um, Yes, Zooming in from Auckland at the moment, but it's lovely to be here. I'm actually pretty much the same as Anne-Marie. I went straight through from undergrad to to postgrad. and did my honours and then I did take a year break before I started my PhD to really, really take a hard look at myself, whether I wanted to embark on a PhD. So it did take some soul searching for a year while I went travelling to, yeah, really decide I did want to, pursue a PhD. It really, for me, I think um, what really parallels with Anne-Marie as well is this whole idea of a transformational experience. So um, we'll get to, you know, talking about the paper um, not too far in the future, but I think that really translates to this whole I- idea how we can all have transformative experiences. So for me, I went through undergraduate and doing my honours thinking I wanted to go into industry. I wanted to, you know, earn a a Heap of money. I wanted to be caught co- I wanted to climb the corporate ladder and That was my vision for my future really and it was when I was doing my honors I, I had a transformational experience at Otago and I somehow Shifted my worldview when we were assigned a task to look at the impact that the marketplace had on Our beliefs and our belief systems and so it really made me take a hard look at um. The, you know, the system that we were participating in, the capitalist system, neoliberalism, um, what marketers do and what businesses do. So for me, that was a turning point. So I was a bit lost. Uh, four years in, I realized I didn't want to actually um, participate in a system that I thought was um, perpetuating um, inequality, perpetuating environmental destruction and, you know, um, contributing to climate change. So I was really a bit concerned about what I was going to do. So I took a year out. And realized that the PhD may give me an avenue to apply my, you know, kind of critical thinking and and seeing how we could actually utilize marketing for good and actually make a good positive change. So for me, that's why I did my PhD. Um, That's why I continue to love academia um, post PhD and where I'm at at the moment and why I pursue Research really like Anne Marie says to make an impact, and I believe we can as marketers use the tools that we've learned um, for good. And that's where my passion lies for teaching the next generation of marketers and business leaders as well to really get them to understand what we can do positively through um, the marketplace. So, yes, that's that's me.
0: That's that's so awesome. And I'm just reflecting on this. I haven't actually asked this question previously of Anne-Marie and Joy, so I'm going to just kind of jump in on you. But we've, uh, you both kind of expressed this, I've been out there, I've done that. And if I am coming into academia, I have to do this in order to have some sort of level of impact and change. There is no point in me just doing this or falling into this. And I've had so many students over the years saying, should I be an academic? Should I be an academic? And my journey seems to be very similar to yours, Joy, and yours, Anne-Marie, where I spent a bit of time out in industry, not long, and just went, can I see myself doing this for another 45 years until I get to retire? I mean, I am effectively going to make money for a millionaire billionaire uh, and have very little change in the wider community as a result where I felt I could have more of an impact. where and I uh, very naively thought I could do that through teaching initially and then realised that it's through the research that you can really make change as well. Um, so uh, if you were talking to a young undergrad, honours, master's students, a younger version of yourself, what sort of advice would you give them about the academic career? Would you would you say it's as amazing as you found it? What are the sort of things you would would you think of? Because I know there's a lot of people who think about this. Who wants to go first? Joya, you, you went yeah, on a bit of sure. a there. So. I get, I
2: get, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess there's actually two things there, because I think, um, I will backtrack a little bit. When having now been four, yeah, what is it now, four years post PhD, I've also reflected a little bit of the industry route. So as you mentioned, we kind of, you know, went straight through. So I haven't, I've had industry experience while I've been um, in my education, but actually as I've come through academia now, I actually realised that there's pros and cons, obviously, to both, right, going into industry, going into academia, but I actually hold a little bit more hope over the past few years, working with corporations, working um, and I guess seeing the, the case studies that are currently taking place in terms of incorporating the circular economy in the business place. So I actually see if, if students are struggling to figure out whether they, you know, academia is for them or whether it's more the industry side of things. I think you can have impact in both because I think if you're able to make waves in a either in a company that you wish to change in terms of you know changing it from within and being a change agent or actually going and working for an already sustainable company or a B Corp, for example, that obviously provides some some ability to make change that way. But I kind of see the same in academia because yeah, Amory alluded to the fact, you know, it is a bit of a publish or perish game. So we could all be just out for ourselves publishing what we think publishes the best, right? And then we don't care about the impact. But I think we are seeing more in, you know, an ability to actually publish in the social impact space now that there's a lot of um, high profile journals, like the Journal of Marketing, Journal of Consumer Research, which are bringing out the special issues. So there's a real, I think, drive in the last few years of incorporating, you know, the sustainable development goals and everything else in terms of the social impact space. So I, I see a hope for both and I don't think it's an easy answer, unfortunately, for students. <laughs> that's that's my answer really. It's not an easy answer, because it depends what how you envision yourselves um making change and what do you like to do, I think.
0: Yeah. Awesome. And Marie, anything to add?
1: Um I'm a very pragmatic person. So when people ask me this, <laughs> um I usually uh say to them, Well, what outcomes are you seeking from a job and a career? Mm-hmm um and i also think about what's good for each person's soul like yep. and as you everyone is different of what they seek and and what fulfills them and if you want fulfillment from your job then that's where you really need to think about the outcome so for me it it, it would be soul destroying to just my my reason for my job is to make money for others yeah. that's but that's not everybody's thing right like and that's completely fine so that's what i would say to you to just consider what outcomes do you want for your personal growth and, and, and your fulfillment? Yeah. Um, and for me, it's it's working with others. It's uh, helping people. It's empowering people to change, empowering people to learn and take control of their lives, um, and then sharing some of that research with, with broader organizations who mm. might also want to do those things. Mm. Um, so I think that's it. What's, think of what's good for you, your soul, and your overall,
0: you know, And I think it's okay to not know what's good for your soul when you start. I I know when I uh, when I left university, I did my honours and moved to Auckland thinking need to get a job. That's what everyone does. Make a ton of money. And I enjoyed making money. Don't get me wrong. You know, it was it was great working in industry for a couple of years. I lived in Howick and then commuted to Takapuna every day where the offices were, which is awful. It was an hour each way without traffic. Uh, And and so that was soul destroying a little bit. But you kind of got used to it. But I thought that was just part of life. And then as slowly as the months went on and then coming up to the two year mark when I quit industry, for me, it was like I can't keep compromising myself to make money uh, or I can't keep comprom- compromising myself in, in order to do this. Even though that's why I thought I was going into an academic sorry into a into a degree was to get a better job, to make money, to provide, to do all these things. And I'm like, I, I can't. I would rather make less money and have more flexibility and, and care for myself and what I thought mattered than to just be beholden to someone who thought about ROI and um and the shareholder value and stuff and not care for the people. So um It's okay if you don't know what your values are when you start or your values change as you start. Um, But one of the benefits I found of of an academic career is that freedom, that ability to drive your own career, uh, which is cool. And uh, as you talked about, um, Joya and Anne-Marie, this idea of having impact that's becoming recognized far more, even though we are in a publish or perish sort of system. All the sort of government metrics used in the US, Australia and more so now in New Zealand speak to. Uh, the non-academic impact your work has if you're not having non-academic impact in your work then you're not going to be ranked as highly as as an institution as an individual so more and more people are doing that as well which is cool but anyway we could probably do a whole podcast on this and so we should probably pause here uh, and talk about this paper in particular this is an invited paper in the journal of social marketing that Emory they they uh, called you up to talk about and i think i maybe should preface this by saying we're talking about social marketing and social marketing is marketing for social good marketing for the well-being of, of communities, of people, of systems, uh, not social media marketing. We know that these things get com- and confused. I used to teach both the social marketing paper and the digital marketing paper. And people were like, well, what's the difference between this is uh, is one of the more social media marketing. And I'm like, no, no, no. One is pro social marketing, one is digital marketing and like online. And so we ended up changing the name of the paper from social marketing to marketing for behavioral change. or just to try and delineate these two, um, but Emory, I wonder if you could give us a little bit of a background as to why you were invited to write this this paper.
1: Uh, yeah, sure, so um, whenever I travel uh, to conferences and go overseas, um, I always try and seek out help and just collaboration over teaching because that's one of you know. Forty percent of our jobs, but maybe more in some instances. Um, and so, and I'm I'm one of those people who's always trying to improve, um, especially uh, and with my teaching, um, try to be more effective and, and deliver better to the students, because um, I do see students as you know our customer essentially. So we have a, a duty to deliver a good mm-hmm. good product, good service. Um, so I always talk to people about their teaching, and then they ask me about my teaching. Uh, and I'm always surprised when they think that my teaching methods or anything that I'm doing in class is novel or unique or, or, or good. Um, but that does happen uh, quite often. Uh, and, and that was the case with this area as well. I was uh, you know, talking to some of my social marketing colleagues uh, overseas and, and we were sharing back and forth what we were doing in our courses. Um, and it turned out that the approach that we were using in the Marketing for Behaviour Change course was novel. Um, and so that's where it started, that, that uh, one of the people that I talked about said, you should write a paper on that. And I was like, no, oh, I'm sure people teach like this everywhere. It can't be, you know, it's not that different, yeah. surely. Um, turns out it is.
0: it is. It is a bit different. <laughs> um, so a little bit of a history lesson, I think, Lucy Ozan and I developed this sort of uh, approach to teaching social marketing uh, far out when I started at UC 2010. 2010. Uh, and it was this idea that we don't just tell people how to be social marketers, how do you carry out a social marketing plan? But we actually encourage them to take part in a process where they engage with it themselves. So every single student as part of this course has to pick an aspect of their behavior or their life they want to improve for the better. And over a series of weeks, they sit down and they go through that process, incorporating what we've learned in class into their own behavioral change process. So if someone wants to get healthier, they would say, well, we're learning about stigma in week three or four. Let me see, what is the stigma associated with me going to the um, gym? What is the stigma of me being uh, more um, heavy than I want to be? All these sorts of things. And they reflect on that in weekly diaries. And then at the end, they present like a plan or a map on how other people should do this as well. And and at the time when Lucy and I put this together, we, we didn't really think so much about this being anything other than just an engaged um, a process, but it was uh, more so just a, a way of getting a deeper insight. But reflecting on it and incorporating what we had learned through the students, we saw the students actually growing as people as well, seeing them have a deeper understanding of themselves. And we should also say that um, this has come about from an adaptation of, of Professor Julie Ozan's uh, concept and how she teaches um, uh, social marketing and teaches at University, as well, taking this idea of experiential learning and making it as part of the course as much part of the course as possible, and sometimes we do this in in bits and pieces, but this has been very much a course that has been built around that whole pedagogy, and that's I think where this came about. and like you said, when I shared this when I shared this idea when I used to teach this paper, people were like, "Oh, could you send me the course outline? I would love to do this and now it's kind of like here's the paper go and go and do it <laughs> <laughs> yes."
2: <Yeah, do that. laughs>
0: So, Joy, did you want to add anything to this with regards to the ways that you teach as well?
2: No, I th- yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't teach. I've had the privilege of teaching the social marketing and the behavior change aspect, but I did... Have um, the yeah really nice experience of, of designing a uh, sustainable and social marketing course. So we did combine the social marketing aspect with sustainability as well. So I taught more the the sustainable side, and a colleague of great colleague of mine at Auckland taught the social marketing side. So I really quite enjoy challenging students, and so this is where I loved you know working with with you both on this paper was because of that critical perspective, experiential learning, transformative education and learning. And it's really, you know, brings me back to what I looked at in my PhD, and that was looking at transformative experiences that people had, and also what's sus- the, like more the sustainability-orientated academics like to bring into their teaching. And one of the aspects when we're trying to, to, I guess, question the status quo about how we can use marketing for good, you know, we talked about this in our paper as well, as kind of unteaching some of the things that maybe we, we or our colleagues taught knowingly or unknowingly to the students in first year or even second year about that whole for-profit mentality and kind of questioning what the motive is for a company to be in business. So for me, this paper really encapsulates us as educators questioning our own behavior in our everyday lives Seeing it, the impact that we have, but what I really just like is we're able to provide students a transformative, hopefully, experience when they're reflecting on one of their own behaviors. So that's a really nice thing. I think we can, uh, you know, we can offer students to give them a, a learning opportunity. And some some people change their behaviour, some people don't. But it actually gives them an opportunity to understand how difficult it is to change behavior when we possibly, as social marketers, are asking people to you know, stop driving their cars, to stop smoking, to um, reduce their junk food consumption. It actually is really difficult. So I think putting ourselves in other people's shoes is Mm. a really good way forward for students to learn.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it gives you a deeper understanding as well. I mean, um, I'm someone who's always struggled with my weight, and so I hate going to these sorts of uh, motivational gym people who have never had a problem with their weight saying, it's easy, you just need to do X, Y, and Z. And it feels like there's no connection there. So when you do actually build that sense of understanding of how difficult it is, to do this yourself in an aspect of your life. Hopefully it builds a level of connection and empathy for those who struggle as well, but also it helps you have a deeper understanding of yourself. And I think that's important. And um, riffing off what you were saying as well, Joy, that idea of this is a great opportunity to say it doesn't have to all be capitalist structures. And so sometimes we come across as quite countercultural, you know, we're like, you don't have to just be profit oriented. You don't have to just be. And early on teaching this sort of paper, it was really difficult because people were like, but I'm doing a business degree to make millions. And now it's people are flooding to this course. It's one of the biggest cl- courses we have at UC now because they want something more than that. So, Emery, you've been leading this uh, course for the last what four or five years, I guess. Do you want to talk more about um why do you think it's important we corporate incorporate this sort of pro social stuff into the work we do?
1: Um, so one of the things I found is that students are real thirsty for it. That's mm. that's the thing, and I mean we know that that um, over the years and and there's cycles of of how much that people are kind of interested in in pro social topics, but I am finding increasingly that students come and they say, I I have. I didn't even know marketing did this. You know, mm-hmm. I've always been doing commercial marketing, and I didn't know that we could help change the world, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot. A lot of people actually want to do. So I actually agree with exactly what Joya has said. That uh, essentially we're giving them experiences that create empathy, mm-hmm. um, and and that makes them effective at, at their future. Their future job positions, uh, and it also stops them being paternalistic and uh, kind of be seeing potentially seeing themselves as, as better than others. Um, you think that you know there's nothing worse than someone creating a, a change intervention mm. who goes, "You guys just need to change this. If you all just did this thing," and from you know a position of power even mm. that is saying that to people. Um, so it's really important, as Joy was saying, as you were saying, that um, they understand that they're not better than anyone else. They're the same as everyone else. Change is hard for everyone.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so then how do we be effective at creating that um, intervention?
0: I think sometimes marketers are probably best placed to be in this space as well and that... Um we know a lot of the interventions health based interventions and even some of the roading based ones are driven by health promoters who have a health background as opposed to a consumer psychology background which is where marketing has kind of emerged from so the focus is what is the change we want to see and let's see how we can make people know that that's what they need to change about their lives while well, marketers are like well what are the things that have driven someone to make their life in this space, which is maybe not so great for them, and can we use the same motivating factors in order to encourage them to do this other behaviour?
1: And, and I think that that is the big difference. That when I'm, you know, talking to district health boards or any health groups, um, the real big difference between um, some health promotion and and the core of social marketing. Is we stand by that. What is the exchange? Mm. What are we exchanging to uh, the the participants that are that are also making a change? Why would they bother doing this? Mm. Um, And uh, a lot of people, when you say, you know, when they're coming from a health background, highly educated in the area, and they are like, why would I do that? The the benefit to them is they
0: they don't die, die. <laughs> you know they don't
1: die at at a younger age yeah. and and you're like but that's not really um a a, a quick motivation so yeah. w- what is it that they get from this what's the value for yeah. them
0: and, and this is uh, the, the commercial marketing exchange is really easy here's $2 give me a chocolate bar really simple <laughs> yeah. and i will decide whether that $2 was worth it versus exercise 30 minutes a day and you may not have a heart attack at 55 is really hard to sell to someone because that's a lot of outlay for something that may may not happen i know joy you work a lot in the food sustainability area in the food um, uh, uh, area and that's particularly difficult i don't know if you even know this my, my phd was in food and healthy eating and and it's really difficult you can't just tell, tell someone quit smoking you know for me quitting is much easier than hey, you still have to eat, but you have to change it and the taste is different and blah, 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 and culture around food and all this sort of stuff. Do you want to talk a little bit more about why it's so important for us to be talking about these sorts of issues, especially to undergrad sort of students?
2: Oh, no, absolutely. No, I think that's where it gets actually really difficult, like you said, is how do you get people to change their behavior of something they do every day? Mm. So (laughs) I think that's really difficult where you are – asking people to possibly just reduce this you know sugar intake or reduce the junk food and maybe it's not the elimination aspect like you said with smoking that's smoking is optional it's not something we do to survive eating is something we do to survive and for me um it, it also parallels to you know what you've been saying about that future that whole idea yes at 55 and now you're 30 you may actually reap some benefits and i see the same thing when you talk about the broad sustainability domain about sustainable consumption, because it's first of all it may not even be you. It may be um, you're helping prevent climate change in certain more aspect places like you know rising sea levels and countries that are far away. It's future discounting because we don't we don't think about it long term and we may not even perceive it to be happening to us. So for me, it's this whole space where i think it's really exciting for students to engage in is to really figure out how how can we make an impact but how do we try and convince people to change
0: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, and if 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 there was a magic formula then we'd all be millionaires and going back to (laughs) academia is about impact but also it can be about money but it's not that easy unfortunately (laughs) because individuals are so individualistic it is we're so focused sometimes on on where we 've come from, and it 's really hard, um, and especially in this is where it becomes particularly hard, I think in a country like New Zealand or Australia or any sort of um, Western country in that way, uh, we are still governed by capitalistic structures, most of the world is, and and the money that pours into you should consume this and you are a better person if you have this or consume this is far greater than the countercultural sort of side of. Actually, you don't need to have that car or that symbol in order to be worthwhile within society. Um, but the, yeah, that's that's a that's a bigger just, fight. Yeah.
1: Just to add to that as well, um, you know, one of the things that we need to consider is whose right is it to even tell people how to live. Yeah. Um, and and that's something that we go through in these courses to try and um, help students to understand. You know, is it your right mm. to tell someone that they should decrease their or increase their activity or decrease their sugar or that you know there's more nuanced things as well. So those things might be more obvious as in it does help the health system, etc., yeah. etc. Cetera, et cetera. But there are other things that um, people do through social marketing, um, use social marketing for that are much more nuanced. Um, you know uh, training your dog uh, to do certain things so it doesn't well kill wildlife I guess that all these things are pro-social right so for us they seem obvious that of course you would do this Um, but we think about who who is making the decisions as to what is the right
0: behavior and that word right is so so difficult and this is where I will be very honest when I do take on a a contract or a specific area of research Rather than me decide what I feel is right or wrong, I take judgment from people who are in government, whatever. They say, we have decided this is the most important thing. The experts have decided this way. My job is now to translate that into something that can be Uh, accepted, used, adopted by a wider population, rather than me trying to say, I feel this is right and wrong, but it has to be both. If I don't feel it's right, then I'm not gonna take it on, obviously. But I do tend to blame other people because it can be difficult. I mean, we know this from the vaccines at the moment, You know, all the health evidence says this, but there's still always gonna be a population that like I don't like being told what to do. And I definitely don't like being told what to do with regards to what goes in my body. So finding campaigns that connect with people nuanced campaigns that connect with people at different stages of their life, all that sort of jazz has to be something that is driven by a consumer-led perspective as opposed to the the macro mass perspective. And Mm -hmm. we can yeah delve into that. But um, back to the paper and the course in particular, uh, when we talk about social marketing as pedagogy, uh, I wonder if... You want to reflect on what that means. We have talked about this a fair bit already, but this idea that how uh, pedagogy, being a, the science of teaching, mm-hmm. uh, how can social marketing be a way of teaching? Emory, do you want to do you want to kick off? Yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: so social marketing is about how do you set a person up in the best possible way to succeed with change. Mm. What are the different um, aspects that you can do to support them to change? And so when you think about teaching, actually, that's what we're doing anyway. Mm. We're teaching, the change might be in knowledge, right, in some aspects. However, that's still what we're doing. How can we set them up in a way that best helps that student to learn and increase their knowledge? Um, and so if you think about it, even in just that, that kind of shallow way, Um, then using the skills that we have from being social marketers, we can also use that in the classroom. And that was the basis of this.
0: Be more effective as teaching and making a more effective learning environment. Joy, do you want to add to that a little bit?
2: Yes, no, absolutely. I I think that, well, relates exactly to what Anne-Marie said is about how do we actually create change within students and whether that's knowledge or attitude change or maybe it is that behavior change let's say that they were partaking in for their uh, assignment so that was one of the, the structures you know was as you mentioned right at the start was that behavior change project and part of that is based on you know teaching practices that are probably that are already practiced in the classroom every day about experiential learning um, it's a part of that is being then active learners so actually mm-hmm. partaking in in this experience, and then also actively reflecting on it. So having a reflective journal, for example, is one of the tasks. And that really then translates into not only, I guess, that what people would traditionally think is lecturing, is is disseminating information from one person to the audience. It is really a more of a co-design, co-creation experience, where you're realizing that the students are also able to teach the the teachers if you will, they''re able, we're able to construct new knowledge from people's own experiences in their behavior change project or even what they bring into the classroom themselves, their own past experiences and their background, their cultural background, or their their own experiences um, in just in, in growing up really. And so for me that's where I think that's where the heart of this paper lies is around getting people to experience something, getting them to reflect and to teach the classroom and to you know, learn from everyone really
0: yeah and some of the feedback that we've got from students who have come through this paper has been has been really humbling to be honest you know some of the things that um uh, were said about the class you know i've learned more about this class about myself in this class than i have in my entire university career You know, uh, I didn't just learn stuff I learned about myself. I'm like, that's not what I expected, but I'm really glad because that shows that transformation. That shows the ability to understand and especially how you both talked about if we're going to make effective learners, and we're going to be effective teachers, then surely that has to be a reflective um, aspect of of the individual. Uh, We've had students who have come to us and just said, "Um, I've learned to love Learning again. I've learned to enjoy what I do in the classroom again because it has been so dyadic, almost as in one to many. I know everything. You need to know this in order to pass this course. Uh, And that's not a great exchange. If we go right back to the exchange theory, why should I come to class and pay you all this money and blah, blah, blah? What is it going to do other than get me a credential? Whilst having a social marketing approach, as in we're looking here to uh, prepare you for the real world, we're looking to Trans, uh, transform you in some way but also transmit some knowledge but also we want you to be a better person we want you to know yourself better it would be really cool and I don't know if this is still the case but I know when I was teaching so many students chose learning techniques as part of their behavioural change, how to avoid procrastination how, to, how can they understand their studies better, all that sort of stuff and I had one student say I wish I learned this in first year, I would have been much better at knowing that the reason I procrastinate is because of X, Y and Z and if I had just reflected on that more um, uh, purposefully I could have avoided those things that were trigger points for my procrastination blah 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 and so it kind of sucks that we don't do this stuff earlier on or I mean we could all be pedagogists and say this should be done at primary school <laughs> and everything like that but it's good that it does happen in some point um is there anything uh, in the process of writing this that you, that surprised either of you um, joy do you want to do you want to hit off anything that kind of jumped out when oh, I really didn't think about this uh, would come out?
2: Uh, I guess it's bringing these tools together so you know when i was invited to work on this piece with you with you both i think you know we kept having discussions about how how what do we want to write and how are we going to go about it and for me it's just actually what the finished product was Mm. and i know we had the aha moment of when we got the title of the paper and we're like that's that, that's that's actually what it is and so for me it's more about this is what i love about academia it is Brainstorming, it's learning from others, and it's just—I think this is what we, in the process, we realize what we were doing and put it down on paper. And for me, I think that's the joy of of what we do is is learning from each other, and hopefully, this this piece will will educate others and will and you know be used for other courses around the world as well. So that's probably what I've I've learned. And cool. uh,
1: yeah, I I was actually. <laughs> It was almost when when we first talked about this, you know, we've been teaching this way and and each semester, you know, you revise and and try to make it more effective, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And the thing that actually surprised me the most was when then we had to think about why we were doing it and how to express that to others. And that really surprised me because I I suddenly realized, oh, we are taking this layered approach Mm -hmm. to behavior change. At, you know, this individual level, the students are changing, but then we're allowing them to kind of understand um, this meso level of how they might apply it to others in Mm. a situation. And then we're also introducing them to the macro level of kind of systemic change. Um, You know, if if everybody changed like this, what are the barriers uh, for people to change um, in general? Um, you know throughout society and in the country um, and I hadn't really reflected on it that way mm. uh, to understand uh, why it might be effective it was more backwards forwards kind of a thing where it was like you experiment you do something it is effective and so you do it Carry again that bit wasn't so you don't do that one again I, I
0: should I should say to all the, the budding academics out there this is very normal. It's okay to not know what, why something works to start with, it, even though it looks like great teachers out there, and we've all done very well in the teaching space. But uh, it, it sometimes things oh, they must be a great teacher. They put a lot of thought into this. Sometimes things just work, and so we do it again. And, and sometimes it just works, and we don't realize until we have an opportunity to reflect, which is effectively what we're teaching our students in the class. And we haven't done it ourselves. We're terrible people. Uh, and. <laughs> uh, I, I uh, I wonder if we should talk about this. I kind of want to talk about this, but we'll see if we'll keep it in the podcast. But one of the reviewers, and I should just say that publishing is a game of writing something down that you think is pretty good. And then two or three people tell you it's not very good. And then we go back and forth for two or three rounds until someone gives in. And hopefully it's them. Sometimes it's us. But in this case, we had one reviewer who said, why should you even bother with this? surely just telling students what to do is good enough. You shouldn't have to experience it yourself and the students shouldn't have to experience itself to get a deeper understanding. And that was quite a difficult thing to overcome because it almost felt like a, like an epistemological difference in opinion here that for us, we have seen the success of engaging students on a deeper level. Therefore, surely that should be useful for the next person. But I also know, and I have reflected on this, it's a lot of work doing this. It is much easier to do two tests in an exam uh, and and just do the traditional model, but it doesn't make great learning environments, and hopefully uh, this is arrogant, it doesn't make as good students in my mind. Um, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I would, I mean, we are not allowed to say this to reviewers, but but my first thought was. You know, oh, telling people what is good for them and just saying they should do it. How does that normally work out?
2: <laughs> right?
0: We should H- be able How to does that, that. Yeah,
1: you know, like that definitely works in the health system. Just stop smoking. Yeah. We're not going to help you do that. Just stop it. Just stop it. It's bad for you. You might die.
0: I've never smoked, so therefore why should you do it? Yeah,
1: <laughs> I've managed to, you know, I have a strong willpower and I don't smoke, so therefore you guys just need to stop. Yeah. Um. That would be my response. How does that work for
0: you? And I don't don't know if you two do this, but I genuinely, whenever I get a reviewer's comments, I have the official response that I give them. And then in a separate column, I have what I really want to say. (laughs) And I kind of have to market that in a way that that makes them feel good about themselves. Because if I said what I really wanted to say sometimes to reviewers, and I shouldn't say this is all reviewers. Many, many reviewers most of the time make my work better. But there's sometimes they're like, you're just wasting my time here. You don't get this. But Joy, anything you want to add in this sort of space?
2: Um, you No, know, I mean, uh, reviewers, always, always an interesting experience. But I, I always feel like there's hidden, you know, hidden ways of how you respond to reviews. You know, that's a very insightful comment. Thank you. Where you really just go, no, it's not. It's really not. But no, Um, I think we could do a whole, a whole nother talk about how to deal with reviewers and how people actually go through the review process. But no, I think, I think it really just shows how we as educators still have differences of opinion and how we teach and why we teach. So even having students reflect, as you mentioned, you know, fantastically, that they're going, hey, this course actually helped me fundamentally rethink a, a learning aspect of, you know, how I, how I um, learn, how I change my own behavior for good, for example. But there's some people who still believe that, you know, the reason why they're teaching is just to give people jobs, right? Rather than teaching, at least for me, the university was started as a critical conscious for society and to reflect on ourselves as, as social creatures and how we function. And so for me, that's part of why students should also be learning. It's not just to get them to be able to do a marketing plan and actually write a report when they go into a company that they're going to work for, but it's actually then being actively to reflect on themselves as people as consumers is how we just generally function as a as society so for me teaching goes beyond that so i think that's where we just sometimes have a differences of opinion of why we're doing what we're doing let alone how people actually learn you know like you said is it just a lecturing format or not
1: and i, I might add to that as well just thinking about it that you know if you social marketing is inherently a practical job hmm. right it, it yeah so if we if we believe that and I, I think that is true, let's take it to another profession. If you had um, an electrician or a mechanic that just learned everything from books, right? They were given the knowledge and they can pass a test on paper. Do you want them in your house to do? You know, do you want them working on your car with no experience? And this is kind of what we're trying to give people is sure. that experience um, so they can actually do the job
0: as opposed to know about the job yeah. only. And, and it's really hard because social marketing, like anything, is a tool. It is it is up to you how you wield that. Um, and uh, I, I still reflect on this. I had a fantastic student, one of my favorite all-time students when I was doing a similar course back at the University of Bath. Um, and he took everything I learned Uh, The whole semester and he now works for a major tobacco company Uh, and he uses everything I've taught him about behavior change, everything I've talked about, pro social stuff, and he's just flipped it to sell cigarettes and tobacco. And it's really heartbreaking. But also that's that's not my choice, that that's his choice. And I still catch up with him regularly because it's always good to be close to your enemies. Uh, He's not my enemy, but (laughs) the tobacco industry is. So (laughs) catch up to what's going on on the inside. And he and I have still a really great relationship. And I, I respect him for his choices, even though I don't respect what he the the company that he works for, but it it can be done that way. So hopefully, and that's the only one I know of. Uh, Actually, no, there's another great student of mine who has gone into a gun lobby uh, sort of area. And that's that's hard for someone who is not a fan of, of weapons, you know, sort of thing. But otherwise, typically most of our students come out Thinking this is going to be what I think uh, is 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 right wrong. But um, we're just uh, as we wrap up, we've had a good conversation. And I almost think like there's maybe two or three other podcasts we should do if people want to do this as well. Um, I used to ask people what breaks your heart, what is what is hurting at the moment, thinking that there might be an opportunity for growth and, and change, but that got super depressing. So I, I, I flipped it around and I, I guess I wanna ask both of you, what, what gives you hope for our future, whether it's in academia, whether it's in social marketing, whether it's the future of the country or the world, um, who wants to go first? So I, I'm gonna give it to you, Joya, to, to say what, what gives you hope for your future or the future?
2: What gives me hope is continuing to see as you both mentioned, the demand from students to partake in these causes, because they are currently still electives. So actually having student growth numbers really shows us there's, there's hope for students. Mm. I also see very much, at least in the New Zealand context, I'm seeing whether, you know, with, I'm being critical here, whether it's just lip service from certain corporations that are jumping on the bandwagon of being more, let's say, socially responsible, but I'm seeing a lot more at least talk of being more socially responsible. And moreover, I'm seeing, you know, government policies and regulations changing with product stewardship, with um, climate change policy. Now, at the moment, we're having a review of some recycling schemes, like a container retain, um, yeah, containers return scheme. So I'm seeing kind of all, I guess, the, the, the micro, the meso and the macro levels sort of changing. And that gives me hope when we need that collective effort for any type of systems change.
0: Awesome. Anne-Marie?
1: Um, similar to the the first thing that Joy said, it's the students, actually, that give me hope. Um, you know, every year, every semester I go in there and I see, um, you know, some new faces, some old faces I've seen before. Um, but what I always see is is People that are excited about, you know, finishing their degrees and getting mm-hmm. out in the world and making a difference, um, and you know that little bit of empowerment that I might give them uh, through their courses um, to then go and make a change to the world—that's that's the thing that gives me hope. That that they are keen to do it. Let's help them do it, and and then give the world to them. They're the future. So um, yeah, the students give me hope.
0: It's been so awesome chatting to you. I mean, we we work together now, we've hung out for years, but I don't think we've ever had a chance just to sit down and reflect on on a paper that we've written ourselves or together or something. So it's actually been really cool for me as well. And hopefully others have learned from this. Um, Thank you so much for listening. If you do want to hear more about what it's like to either become an academic like we have or the reviewing process or the world of sustainability and all the other offshoots that this talk could have gone on for two or three hours about, let me know and maybe we'll hook up a, a part two or a part three about this. So otherwise, thank you both so much uh, for uh, your thoughts, for your for your contribution, for what you're doing in academia, but also what you're doing for our students and outside this university as well. It's been great talking to you. Kaki, Te more Hopefully catch you next time.